We're going to start a new series. I call it Killing It or Is It Killing You? So let's take a look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Here's what Paul says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, unsaved, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. I want to talk to you about a phrase I did not hear or run into growing up. I hear it a lot today. It's called killing it. Dude, you are killing it. That guy was killing it. Those shoes are killing it. If you look online, it means having a ripped body. That leaves a bunch of us out. A cool fashion style, career success, high level of achievement, going on an envy-producing vacation, having fabulous hair, an immense personal charm. Everybody wants to be killing it. When Kim Kardashian and Kanye West's daughter, Northwest, was two years old, USA Today reported that little Northwest was killing it when she got baptized. Beyonce's daughter named Blue Ivy has also got to be killing it. Now, I grew up in South Carolina. We did not kill it. I'm not sure we even wounded it slightly. <laughs> the, the website Fast Company posed a question I want to start with this morning. What is the greatest logo of all time? They said the average person in America gets bombarded with upwards of 5,000 brand messages every day. Every brand wants some expression that will not only be simple and memorable, but will, you know, tap into a deep level of desire in you. I'll show you a few that are pretty, pretty recognizable just to test how effective they might be if you look up at the screen. If you know the brand name, you can just shout it out loud. Here's the first one. Nike. This is called the swoosh. Nike was the Greek goddess of victory, and that image is supposed to look like one of her wings. It was actually developed by a graphic design student named Carolyn Davidson. She was literally working for $2 an hour. She got paid 35 bucks to create the swoosh. Phil Knight said when she gave it to him, I don't love it, but it'll probably grow on me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it did grow. You can Google that and see the whole story. Pretty amazing. Next one. Amazon. You know, logos have a hidden meaning sometimes. And if you look carefully at where the yellow line starts and ends, it's showing you can use Amazon to buy everything from A to Z. Plus, the yellow line is a smile to represent how happy people are who shop on Amazon. And I'm thinking how happy are the people who own Amazon. Get me some of that. Next picture, FedEx. FedEx says when it's got to get there fast. And what I had never noticed before is the arrow in between the E and the X that represents speed, movement, and accuracy. And then there is Baskin-Robbins. Mm. I'm probably the only one who never noticed they have 30 wonderful flavors. The 31 is incorporated in the BR logo just to remind you. And then there's Starbucks. What would happen if Starbucks were to close tomorrow and no coffee were available? Well, the world would collapse. I mean, please. 
Now here's the next one, the golden arches. Business Insider writes, it is the most recognizable logo in the world. It means satisfaction. You get food, you get it fast, you get it cheap. It tastes good. And if you have a van, the kids can get a whole meal just rummaging in the cracks between the seats to find french fries <laughs> you lost the last time you were there. Smart people stay up late at night dreaming about those kind of things. A good logo isn't just memorable, it's compelling. It makes you want to say, I got to have that. I want to wear that. I need to be part of that. What's the greatest logo you think? Maybe of all time. And it's a pretty critical observation. For 2,000 years now, the primary image that's been associated with Jesus and his movement started, you know, oddly enough, with two pieces of wood that were fastened together to execute slaves and criminals. For people who follow Jesus, that's our corporate logo. That's our brand. Now, you know, some other religions have much more inviting symbols. You know, the Star of David, or a crescent moon, or a lotus flower, images of light, nature, and beauty. If you were designing a symbol to attract men and women from all cultures around the world to be part of, you wanted a movement to be part of, no marketing expert would recommend, oh, I know, a means of execution. Yeah, that'll do it. It has become so familiar in our day through jewelry and art that for the most part, we've all been desensitized to it. And we forget how shocking it was. How likely is it that the San Antonio CPS Electric Company would choose as its logo an electric chair with the slogan, the power's on? <laughs> how likely is it that jewelry makers would sell necklaces with little electric chairs or guillotines on them? How strange that more graves should be marked by crosses than anything else. I mean, for us, it's unthinkable that that grave marker would be marked by a knife, a gun. It'd be unimaginable. But we don't even think about the cross. And you should know it didn't happen by accident. Jesus was the master of images as of everything else. He deliberately chose this one, the cross, and it became, as he knew it would, the most famous and powerful image in history, precisely as he intended. So the obvious question is, why? Why a cross? Well, that's what I want to look at in a few moments in this message. We're looking at this remarkable book in the New Testament, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinth was a lot like our Western culture. It had been rebuilt by Rome, so it now had a startup culture. It was generating enormous wealth. It was culturally and ethically and religiously incredibly diverse. It was extremely competitive. The people who lived there were obsessed with status. Got to look the part. Got to be the part. Got to be somebody. Corinth was killing it. If you think a cross would be strange logos to us, how much more exponentially stranger would it be to Corinth? And that moves us to a part of what is utterly unique about the Christian faith. An author, Fleming Rutledge, writes this, quote, The world's religions have certain traits in common, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ came upon the Mediterranean world, 
nobody in history of humanity ever imagined as the worship of a crucified man. It was unthinkable. It was Jesus who conceived of such a thing. It was Jesus who used the cross to express the deep loss, brokenness, death of humanity, and the measureless suffering love of God. And this paradoxical pathway to a life of victory and satisfaction and abundance that Amazon and Nike and Starbucks and McDonald's only give us a little taste of. Now, Paul has been haunted by and captivated by the cross of Jesus. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church and of Christians. Now the cross is about a whole lot more than just how to get a ticket to heaven. For Paul, it's as though everything Jesus taught about the reality of the kingdom of God, that those who become servants are actually the greatest, that the first shall be last, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, that those who save their life will lose it, but those who die to themselves will receive their life. See, the killing that God wants you to do is that old flesh, that old man that wants to be the best, the, the, the biggest, the prettiest, the buffest, the hottest, the richest, the most famous, the most powerful. And that's in all of us to some degree. And when you become a Christian, God says, now I want that cross to be applied to you. I want you to die to that. It's not wrong to have any of that. It's wrong when that's my motivation for life and where I get my image and value from, like it's going to make me happy. It's going to produce great joy. It's going to give me an abundant life. And the truth is, Jesus trying to tell you, no, it won't. No, it won't. It's like everything Jesus ever did or taught somehow got fully expressed in the cross. It's as though some... Somehow that cross embodied evil, guilt, and death, just the way Jesus embodied goodness, love, and life. Jesus turned the cross from a weapon intended to kill God to a weapon God would use through Jesus to kill death by dying himself. And when he rose from the death, he destroyed death, hell, and the grave. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. We'll talk about that next week. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those people who are unsaved. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. Now that would sound utterly bizarre to a Corinthian. Corinth prided itself on intellectual and cultural life and knowledge. It was a Roman colony. It had overtaken Athens as the intellectual leader of its day. It had found favor with Caesar. It had a Greek wisdom and culture. It had Roman power and wealth. It had sexual freedom and financial opportunity. Corinth was where you came if you wanted to get ahead. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Crucifixion would have struck the people of Corinth as not a good career booster. It would not look good. The ancient world knew a lot about execution. They practiced it quite often. Crucifixion was much more of a hassle for a government because it required a team of four soldiers. There had to be a centurion present to oversee it. And the cross was their way of discouraging rebellion. So if you were thinking about being the Messiah, your number one concern would be, don't get crucified. Ron Heflitz from Harvard University has one of my favorite definitions of leadership. He says, 
and I quote, exercising leadership might be understood as disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. Well, Jesus disappointed people at a rate they could not absorb and they crucified him. And yet Paul did not minimize Jesus' public failure. In fact, he highlights it. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jewish people and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now you might think about this as three different logos, three different brands. And you can think about which one you would prefer for your own life, your own personal brand. Because we live in a world where everybody has to have their own brand. Even in religion, we've got all these brands. Paul says, the people of Israel, the Jewish people demanded signs. People, the Pharisees, teachers of the law would often say to Jesus, teacher, we want a sign from you. The idea here is they're looking for works of great power, miracles that would indicate this leader has enough strength and charisma to overthrow our occupiers, Rome. So if we were to attach a logo to this brand, it might look like the picture on the screen, The Rock. That's Dwayne Johnson, former wrestler, football player, turned fabulously wealthy movie star who is so strong, he's called The Rock. You want a Messiah? You want The Rock. Well, this logo would say, the way to the good life, the way to the flourishing life is more power, more strength, more charisma, the ability to dominate, demanding signs of power. I get that, I want that. But Paul says, that's not Jesus' brand. With the second brand, he says, the Greeks look for wisdom. Now, if you were going to choose a logo for that one, it might be a picture of this guy. Albert Einstein, a very brilliant guy. In Corinth, wisdom was all about how to pursue honor, wealth, and status. It was also mastering the art of rhetoric, speaking, see? It was really all about self-promotion. Sages, these people who were powerful speakers, sages were the celebrities of their day like reality TV stars are in our day. So when Paul says he didn't preach with wisdom or eloquence, it doesn't mean he used poor grammar or logic for crying out loud. The guy's bilingual, he's pretty articulate. But very much to the contrary, it meant he deliberately identified with people of low status and lived among the Corinthians as a servant, which in a, which in a city that wanted status, this was contrary to, to the culture. So he, he defied conventional wisdom of making your life about getting ahead only, to try to secure the good life by demanding signs that guarantee power, influence, control, domination, and strength. I get that brand. To try to secure the good life by being the smartest guy in the room and figuring out how to get ahead of everybody else. I get, I get it in this culture as well. Then there's the Jesus brand. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Let me talk about how strange that phrase is. You know what an oxymoron is? Don't look at your neighbor, all right. An, an oxymoron, there's two words that contradict each other, like jumbo shrimp, hell's angels, small crowd, virtual reality, civil war, airline food, Country music, don't you be mad at me. Don't you be mad at me. All right, 
The oxymoron in this particular passage is Christ crucified, right? We're likely to just skim right past that. Christ was not a name, that was a title. Jesus was the name. Christ was the title that means anointed one or Messiah. Crucifixion meant by definition, you are not the Messiah, that Rome had defeated you. You could have a Messiah or you could have a crucifixion, but in their thinking, you couldn't have both. Yet Paul is rubbing the Corinthians' noses in it. It would be one thing to preach Christ's anointed leader, wise teacher, noble character, I get that. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, failed, crushed, shamed, humiliated, executed. A few verses later, he gets after the same thing. This is in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence, like all these sages looking for self-promotion, and I didn't come to you in human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you understand how utterly upside down and disorienting this has to be to everybody in Corinth? The cross meant Jesus had been tried and found wanting in their thinking. He, he could not give enough signs of his own power to rally his own people to overthrow their oppressors. He could not plead his case with sufficient wisdom and eloquence to persuade Roman justice. He tried, he failed, he lost, he died. Interesting. In, in a world where honor was proof of merit, and boy, we understand that world, don't we? When shame and failure were proof of your unworthiness, Jesus experienced the deepest, most public, most dehumanizing shame known to the ancient world. And this is what Paul leads with, which means one of two things. Either Jesus was not as great as they thought, or greatness will have to be redefined in the kingdom of God. Human flourishing, the purpose of life, is going to have to be redefined in our Western culture. Corinth is going to have to be redefined. The American culture is going to have to be redefined. Either Jesus was not as great as they thought, or the purpose of life and the nature of God and the foundation of hope and who counts and who doesn't, the power of suffering love to overcome hatred and the possibility of having our evil and sins forgiven by God have all been turned so radically upside down by a crucified carpenter, for crying out loud, that Rome and Caesar and Corinth look like bit players in comparison. What Paul is claiming against all odds is that in thousands of years when the Roman Empire has crumbled, this man Jesus would still be expanding his kingdom. And by the way, that is exactly what has happened. And it's the power of the cross. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 7 says, Of his kingdom there will be no end. How many of you know kingdoms come and kingdoms go? Administrations come, administrations go. Celebrities come and celebrities go. Stars and the award winners and the, the Heinzman Trophy and all that. They all, it all, you can't remember five years ago. They come, they go. Same with national leaders, tyrants, CEOs, presidents. They come, they go. Nations come, nations go. Why don't we get the thought? God says, my kingdom, my government, my rule, ain't never going to go away. It's eternal. It is the only thing that will survive. And you better hook your life up to the kingdom of God. It's eternal. Your good body type ain't eternal, sweetheart. It's going to sag. Your, your money, you, you know, you, you're going to have a shelf life for everything in humanity you've got. 
you better hook it, your, your identity and your purpose to something that has a little bit of eternity in it, which is the kingdom of God. The power of, power of the cross turns out to be the power of God fully expressed in Jesus and most fully in Jesus on a cross. We preach Christ and him crucified. Then it becomes the power of the resurrection. Now we all love the resurrection, but you can't have a resurrection if you don't have a crucifixion. You can't skip the crucifixion part. Jesus didn't. So here's where it gets really personal. This is how I think it's the noble, glorious, painful, scary path that we're called to. A little bit scary. Often people misunderstand Christianity. We think Jesus died on the cross so that I don't have to. Well, that's not how Paul saw it. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, now what he's saying, it, Paul didn't, Paul's not talking about him getting up on a cross. He says, when Christ died and I've accepted him as my savior, I crucified my old man with him. He took my sin, my old nature to the cross when he died. I have been crucified with Christ. So I don't live, meaning I don't get my way when I want my way or my flesh wants its way. I crucify it. I take it to the cross and remind it I have been with Christ which I have to remember when I drive on 1604-281. Yeah, Rick, you need to take that to the cross. If you're going to stay married, you got to go to the cross quite often. Well, I want to be right. I'm going to, I'm going to snap back with a good saying that'll, that will silence her and affirm the rightness of my opinion and decision. And the, the Holy Spirit says, no, you... You've been crucified with me. Take it to the cross. Take it to, you've been killing it or killing her or killing them. Now it's killing you. You need to die. Paul said, I die daily. Now, does that sound like something that's permanent? That means if you're going to stay married a long time, you're going to have a crime scene. You're going to have to die every day. <laughs> you, if, you, if you work with people, you've got to die every day. Every day my flesh wants to do something it doesn't want it. It shouldn't do or my anger, or my temper, or being right. I was tweeting the other day, and I was doing something on social media, and I wanted to set some guy straight, and I started off first very positive, good. Two lines, good. And then I thought about now, I'm going for the killer. And I typed it all in, and then the Holy Spirit, because I'm preaching this today. And the Holy Spirit says, Is that, do you really have to get this guy? Do you really have to take him down? Why don't you take that to the cross? So I I deleted all the way back to good. And then I put the cross down for a little bit and I thought, no, I type it back in. Then I picked it back up and I deleted it and I finally let it go. And I just thought, I think maybe for one time during the whole day yesterday, the Lord said, well, good, Rick. Very good. Yeah, that's kind of what I want you to do. You know, it's not about me. It's about you. Does this glorify you? And I'm telling you, all of us daily can put that cross down. You can pick up the cross or you can lay it down. If you can pick it up, you can lay it down. And you can tell me about the people we counsel all the time that putting that cross down is getting pretty dirty. And you can pick it back up. I think about the, the tests, the temptations, the stresses, the different challenges we face. We, we can drop that, that cross anytime we want to. So the way to human flourishing 
comes this way through Christ, and everybody's so passionate to find out how to flourish in life, but it's not the way of Corinth. More status, more money, more power. It's the way of the cross. Full surrender to God. At the cross, I lay down my life. Ugh. I confess my sins. Ugh. And I receive his life and his forgiveness. And if you've never done that before, I hope you'll do it this weekend. At the cross, I give God my life, my time, my money, my talent, my treasure, my ego, my habits. I give him my old life. I receive his new one. Through Jesus, the master of images, he said, this is the way to live. He said in Luke 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Don't you find that upside down? Yeah, that's the paradox of the kingdom of God. That's, it's all about getting me out of the way, getting you out of the way so Christ can live through you. Regardless of your race or gender or culture, you gotta die. And if God's word demands something and I'm feeling contrary to it, well, guess what's supposed to die? That which is contrary to it. You want a better life for a better year? Then how about a good killing? Yeah, that flesh, that self-will, that ego, that ambition, that selfish ambition. Now, there's a certain ambition that's right, of course. I want to make something of my life. That's good. But using people to status to be, that's bad. You don't hurt people and use people. You don't cheat people. Jesus chose the way of the cross, and he names the cross here before he ever died on the cross. Make it your goal this week not to promote yourself, but to do your work diligently, with help, cheerfully, constantly asking Jesus to partner with you, to guide you, to give you creativity and perseverance, looking to see who around you might need encouragement. And boy, during all this drama the last eight months, a lot of people do need encouragement. Now, some of us can encourage ourselves, but everybody, everybody's not there. But you'll never go wrong trying to encourage anybody. I've never been offended somebody wanted to encourage me which is really hard on Saturday night. I got to tell you that I could use a lot of encouragement on Saturday night. <laughs> there are some crowds that are just tough. I was in the rock and roll business for a number of years and the crowd can make you better or worse, you know. And we played, we played some great crowds and we played some awful crowds. I never forgot it. And I thought, well, that'll all change in church. Nope, it didn't change in church. It didn't. When you're at a meeting this week, pray God would let somebody else say something really smart. You don't have to be the smartest one, even if you know it. If you're at school, take a test under the cross. That'll change the way you take a test. No cheating, no comparing with anybody else, no worrying. Just do your best. Offer it to God. Let it go. Nail that test to the cross. When you get in your car, <clears throat> this one's for me, drive in the way of the cross as you leave the property today. That'll change the way you drive. No hand gestures, just drive. No, you go first. That's all right. I'll wait. I'm not impatient. That's dying. See? Now put, this, put that drive thing on the cross, right? This week when you look on your phone or you turn on your computer, you go online under the cross. Am I posting and tweeting words the way Jesus would be tweeting if Jesus were me? Well, he won yesterday in the car. Praise God, he won. Yeah. Under the cross this week, help your spouse. Help your children. How about listen, care, serve, notice, encourage, speak truth, 
and give. Be generous. This week, take the cross with you to our Corinth, San Antonio, because I'll tell you a little secret. There's a wisdom you cannot Google. There's a treasure you can't get on Amazon. There is a hunger you'll never satisfy at the Golden Arches. FedEx, you know, might save you a little time, but it won't save your soul. Through the cross of Jesus, the power of God, we are more than conquerors. And the riches of God, Jesus says, though he was rich, yet for your sake and mine, he became poor, that through his poverty, you might become rich. So the riches of God and the wisdom of God, all the treasures of wisdom are found in Christ and eternal life can be yours. So here's the challenge. No matter how well you do in Corinth, our culture, the day is gonna come when Corinth will let you down. Corinth will not save you. Corinth has no power over death. The cross does. Some people look for signs, power and domination, but not us. Some people look for wisdom, being the smartest guy in the room, not us. We're gonna follow Christ crucified, who was killing it. And we're gonna double down on the cross. Would you bow your head with me? Thank you for your attention. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for watching online. You know, if God were speaking to you today, would he be talking to you about something you need to kill that could be killing you or your marriage or your future? And you need to bring it to the cross. Bring your past, if it's tormenting you, to the cross. There's forgiveness. God says, as far as the east is from the west, and if you go east, you never get west. That's how far I'll remove your sin, your transgressions, and remember them no more. Bring it to the cross. Bring that temper to the cross. Bring that desire to always be right to the cross. Good, good challenge for all of us, particularly dominating temperament personalities. Bring it to the cross. Die daily. It's not something you can do once and it's good forever. It's something you do every day. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.